Hello and welcome to FinTech Impact. I'm your host, Jason Pereira. Today on the show, we have Art Harrison, co-founder and chief growth officer of Daylight Automation. Daylight Automation is a company that, surprise, surprise, helps companies automate their data processes and create greater efficiencies around things like onboarding, document population, and you name it. And with that, here's my interview with Art. Art, thanks for taking the time. Awesome. Appreciate you having me here today. My pleasure. So Art Harrison of Daylight Automation, tell us about Daylight. Sure. At our core, our mission is to enable companies to improve any interaction between people and process. And usually the best way that I can describe what we do and how we enable these companies is, is to give an analogy. If you're in Canada, the US, you've, you always you know, have to interact with taxes. That's a business process that the IRS or the CRA owns. We can't change it. We might want to. We might not like it. We can't change it. The advisors may be helping you. You may be using a, a, you know, something out of that $10 billion tax industry that is TurboTax. And that's because while it's a great process for the tax agencies and their auditors, it's a terrible thing to interact with as a person, especially when it's something as stressful as finances. So, you know, especially up and coming- don't enable things like APIs or any kind of modern architecture. <laughs> exactly. Would you, literal conversation with CRA, but why would you need that? Like, oh my God, are you kidding me? That's, anyway, that's crazy. No, no, absolutely. And it's uh, so why there's a $10 billion industry on the tax software. There's why there's advisors and, and people to help you is because they've built a better on-ramp to a business process that they couldn't even control. So, you know, you just take TurboTax as an example. It's a solution that's going to guide you through the right questions. Make sure that you contextually are providing the right information. Did you change a job? Did you get married this year? You know, do you have kids? It's going to ask you the right questions. It's going to make sure that you have answered correctly, validating what you've inputted first. And when you're done, it's going to deliver that information in the way that the tax agencies need it, whether that's, you know, a dozen paper forms and addendums or an e-submission. It's going to deliver it back to the organization in the way they need it, but it didn't force the user to experience it that way. And Daylight is a platform that enables organizations to create that kind of an experience for any interaction point between a people or a process. So that could be at the self-service channel. It could be an assisted channel where someone like an advisor is guiding someone through on behalf of some other process, or it may even be internal, dealing with HR issues or you know audits or security, anything else. Any interaction point, Daylight is a platform that lets organizations build what they want for their user experience. So, I mean, at the end of the day, you are a, for lack of a better term, workflow engine that basically also ensures that no, just give provides the tools for being able to put that workflow together to the end user and all the intelligence that goes into it and all the execution and deliverables that go into it. Yeah. You know, sometimes I just say like, you know, the simplest way it's a, it, you can build that choose your own adventure so that you can memorialize and standardize a process that you know you can build it into an experience for yourself, for your employees, or for your customers to take the guesswork out of it. And that, that's really you know, how you can create delightful experiences out of things that traditionally were really scary and really difficult to interact with. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's not just that. I'd have to say also that... <laughs> of course. Yeah, but it's it's here's the issue, right? It's when you really think about everything has some. There's always a process to something in a business. A business does. Yeah. Um, the question is how standardized, codified is it? A lot of times these processes get figured out by people who need to get from point A to point B, never written down and never kind of optimized, right? Yeah. Never standardized. And people, you know, with more experience and can get things done faster than others. So there's no institutional kind of repository of that. And when you think about that, how broken a system that is. Could you imagine <laughs> a? Can you imagine a car? A car uh, assembly line being run that way, 
Like, oh yeah, just like smoke signals and and like legends passed down of like here's how we kind of build the cards. Yeah, that's it, right? Like, but that's how the vast majority of businesses processes work. And I get it because hey, in a busy business, you're you're moving so fast, you don't necessarily have time to think or map these out. But then you pay the price long run. So yeah, it's a challenge. And you're you're hitting it on the head, and that is often as a business we talk about those outcomes. You know, building this amazing experience, delighting your customers, your employees. There's a flip side of that that equation, which is making that change is so difficult. It's one thing to, you know, you have an IT group or you have a desire, you have someone with an idea of how they want to improve it. But depending on the size of the organization, making that change is so hard. That's why I use the the tax example in the, the fact that, you know, most organizations, they start and they, they redo the entire end-to-end process. But the tax software is a good example of saying, well, where's the problem? The problem isn't necessarily the end where the auditors are, where the CRA is. The problem is how I'm the individual is interacting with it. And so that's a big part of it is how do you enable the people that actually know how to do this? When you're going to codify it, you don't want just an IT group or one person in a silo to go and say, hey, here's how we think it's done. You need to empower the people that are actually doing it, the advisors, the frontline staff, the people that have done it, that know all the ins and outs. If you can empower them to be able to codify what they know into an experience to simplify it and standardize for every future employee on that assembly line or to actually push it out to the client to do themselves, then you're really getting somewhere. And that's been a challenge is, is how do we how do, how do organizations actually go about making change and doing it across the literally thousands of processes that they have that are ripe for improvement. Yeah. So we're going to come back to that because we kind of sure. skipped over my second question. <laughs> uh, and that question is, is quite honestly, it's been very simple. Tell us about the origin. What was the genesis of, of um, daily automation and how did it come to be? Yeah, sure. It's it's an interesting story. Um, my co-founder, Ryan uh, Kimber, who's our CEO, it's one of those stories that, that come out of a not a, a happy place in life, but you know, sometimes that's where the, the best ideas come from. And it was actually, you know, he he went through the loss, uh, sudden loss of, of his mother-in-law. And that's a really trying experience, you know, death, you know, taxes, finances, all these are are really problematic experiences. And he was actually in the funeral home and they offered a service, which is if you've ever dealt with a, with a sudden death, so much paperwork and so much process follows you around for years to come. So they offered a process where they said, hey, for a fee, we'll interview you about your, your loved one. We'll find out, you know, hey, did they go to university? Were they an alumni member? Did they get the alumni magazine? Where did they shop? This guy, this guy passed away in Ontario because I think I know this service. <laughs> uh, it, well, I believe I believe she did pass away in Ontario. Um, there you yeah. go. I know exactly what you're talking about. But yes. yeah, do they collect you know frequent flyer miles? Do they? Where do they yep. shop? So they'll they'll go through an interview process with you to learn about you. And when they're done, they actually mailed a binder with every document that you need to transfer the points or cancel the magazine subscription with little stickets of where to sign and pre-stamped uh, envelopes so you could actually mail it all in and. It was at that moment, you know, his wife could see it in his eyes and kind of said, you just had a business idea, didn't you? And, you know, he had worked, uh, as have I, in organizations on transformation around document management. And he realized, like, this is an amazing way to simplify this process. And it, it's not just one process. It's a, it's, a, it's a multiple things all done at the same time. And if you could bring that same ability to do that in financial services and insurance and the government, that there was something really meaningful to be had there. So that that's where the origin came out of. And over time, he, he brought it to me, me a little convincing. I, I thought he was just looking for some free help. Uh, you know, and I was working on a startup of my own at the time, but it was my wife. Uh, you know, both of our wives are, are clearly the wise ones who was like, no, the first time you told me about this, this is going to change lives. This is going to change 
the lives of the people who interact with it, it's going to change our lives. So you have to do this. And, and she's the, the more conservative one in the family. So I, I listen when she's, uh, when she's, you know, telling me to go after something a little more uh, adventurous. Excellent. So, I mean, let's let's so let's go back to the core we were discussing before uh, in yeah. terms of business processes. And you, you that that actual example, which I'm very familiar with, that company is a wonderful example. This is you know, it started from someone who went through the process himself and said, "I can't believe that there's not a guide for this." And over time, they figured out every possible question you could ever <laughs> think to answer, like to ask, and things that would never occur to most people. So they are incredibly thorough, and they've even built software around how to how to populate all that. And you know, by the time you're done the conversation, the button gets hit and all gets sent. So great, wonderful service I refer to all the time. But that's an organization that I think, because of the complexity, realized that the only way they were going to make this thing work was to truly map out everything. And when you think about the problems that so many businesses encounter. And I think we're, we're seeing it a lot in the financial industry right now because of new regulation. Mm-hmm. Um, and I see companies complain, oh, no, it's, you know, it's, it's moving too fast. We can't implement. And I'm sitting here going like, but if you actually had proper data stewardship and the systems for just modifying for proper digital onboarding and modifying just the inputs, like you could have solved this in weeks. Like yeah. you could have solved this in weeks. And, and so much, I feel like hopefully this latest round of regulation shakes these companies up to say, like, we cannot put ourselves in this position again. So, I mean, talk to me about, and I'm just thinking it's kind of lean. So talk to me about what you're seeing in terms of appetite in the market. Has this, is what I'm saying here actually resonated with any of them and actually said, okay, like this is what we should have had two years ago so that we wouldn't be where we are today. Or, or what are you, what are you hearing? We, we are hearing it. Obviously, you know, the, there's a kind of a collision of, of, of interest, you know, whether it's the regulations, COVID had a massive impact on the appetite for change and the realization that people needed to change because things that were traditionally, you know, we talked about that, that tribal knowledge of how to do a process. I'm going to use banks as an example, complicated process. Someone would just walk across the next office and say, Hey, how do I have a client that's looking to do this? How do I do it? And that all went away in an instant. You know, people were at home. You couldn't, you couldn't rely on that shared knowledge. So the appetite is changing. It used to be that you'd find a few champions and they would fight their way through the organizations. But you are seeing more and more from the, not just, you know, the mid tier, the the people that are trying to make change, you're seeing it from the executives, you're seeing it from the ground up. The challenge is still, they don't know how to do it. Historically, when they were faced with something like this, and, and you were kind of touching on this, you know, the data stewardship, they, they do still tend to blow it out. And, you know, someone will come in and say, well, let's rewrite everything. It's the equivalent of the old dev model of like, oh, you know, I, I don't like the way this is working. So let me just rebuild the entire application. And if you've ever worked as a developer, that won't take you know, time. Yeah. It's, and of course you're going to, you know, they, they, what they don't understand is the like million of edge cases that you have no idea are actually happening behind the yeah. scenes. So they're still struggling with that model of, I always refer to it as inside out and they, they start from the inside and they say, well, let's build the data model or the data lake. And we're going to build this new suite of tools that will onboard everything to, and then we'll finally have clean data. And we're seeing that's still a struggle. The ones that, that do it right are starting from the outside in and saying, okay, it's no different than what we just talked about in that funeral experience is that they started from, hey, how do we collect the right information? How do we make the process better? Once you've done that, once you've improved how you're actually collecting the data, you can, you know, I'm not saying wait forever, but you can delay and you can think about how you're going to ultimately store that data. But the first step is, and this is where daylight automation comes in. We really focus on breaking apart a traditional term that organizations use, which is digitization and automation. And I like to talk about digitization, then automation. If you're always looking at that automation first, you're often not actually solving the root of the problem. How am I interacting? How, where, are my da- where is my data coming in? Is it good data? Is it clean data? Is it accurate data? 
And so when they start from that area, whether it's in a funeral home, whether it's at a major financial institution, whether it's an advisor, you can build the knowledge, build the data capture right first. And even if you have to interact with old legacy processes for six months, you're still building the right foundation. When you're ready, as you keep evolving, you can build a better automation suite and end-to-end straight through digital processing environment. But now you're doing it off of your ideal experience, your, your clean data but so I think it is changing. It's just, it's not just changing the experience that they want. It's how they work. It's how they think. That's the challenge that most organizations face when facing the, the, the incoming digital first entities, whether that's in you know insurance, uh, in wealth, anywhere, is they've been doing it one way for a long time. It's still difficult to make that kind of a change. Yeah. And I get that the entire, it would be nice if the entire foundation was immaculately perfect, but the, the reality <laughs> is the entire, I think the viewpoint you have there is almost to some degree, the old saying about no plan survives first encounter with the enemy. You can sit back in the ivory tower and plan out for every scenario you think you're going to happen. But at the end of the day, the second you unleash it to the public, they're going to throw things out that you never dreamed of. So in so many ways, tackling one thing, putting it out there and then learning from that experience is so much more valuable. That's the, it's the whole agile methodology, right? Like you, you exactly. don't know what you don't know till you've tried it. I'm going to, just for fun, I, like there's a story I like to tell all the time and it's it's not exactly that. The, it's the other symptom that I see in, in organizations is striving for that perfection first or misunderstanding what going digital means. So there was a, a use case we had. It was a, you know, someone, it was an admini- account administrative type activity, granting power of attorney. I'm sure you've dealt with it many times yourself, you know, wanting to give someone access over their funds or accounts. The, as soon as we were working with an organization who wanted to build it digital, they had everyone, you know, and their, their brother in the room. And they started, the scope just got so massive. They're like, well, we need to account for the possibility that someone brings in an infinite number of, people to give power of attorney over <laughs> and, you know, and like, just, I don't infinite, even understand that. Infinite. Like, here's infinite. It's funny. Cause I often rail against the stupidity. I've seen some of these systems where it's like, <laughs> Oh, you thought that one person wouldn't own more than one of an account type as if there was no other reason to do that. Like, yeah, that's just, that's nonsense. Now don't get me wrong. That's, that's nonsense. Infinite is also nonsense. And that was what we had to, we had to have our conversation, which is like, first of all, what's the standard? The, the standard is one person. Plus a backup, if that. Or, and a backup, or, yeah, yeah, right? Like, or three working in conjunction with each other. And I think that was it. Like when you get to three, that accounted for something like 98.9% of all use cases. And that- Right, and I'm sure if you got to nine, you get to 100% and then some, but sure. And then some, and and that's it. Like, And and you you have to explain to people that like, well, what about covering that? Even even the, the 95% use case, there's always exceptions. Even when you're building a digital, the ideal customer experience, if someone does need to bring in 20 people, well, that's the one. Is it worth a million dollars of building technology to support that? Or is that something where you say, great, come on in and let's deal with that manually, right? That, But there, there's this, you know, people, when you get into the room in technology, there's some pragmatism gets lost with some people. And they're just like, well, it's digital. I can do whatever I want magically. And so so larger, the larger the organization, the more that that scope creep tends to come in. snowball, right? Like, yeah. it, like suddenly everybody wants their favorite color sprinkle to be an option when in the end of the day, you don't even have the cookie baking yet. Exactly, exactly. No, I, I see that. It's... Um... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's I, I think so often, especially when I sit on some of these advisory boards or even when I'm advising, you know, fintechs, I'm just like, look, 
stop running away. Like I refer to my, my, my job as professional squirrel killer because <laughs> people will like, like will chase squirrels left, right, and center. And I'm sitting back like every time it's like, let's define scope, minimum viable product scope. What are we doing now? You want to, you want to create a project to make it better after it's running. Great. But here is the very narrow goalpost. We have to shoot between first, right. And then go. And but yeah, I get it. Everybody wants to, wants to tinker and wants to have their little say in the thing that they basically like, yeah, we're responsible for. Well, and, and, and that's where, you know, where, where we get excited as daylight is what, what I have found is when you empower the people that are the front line or a step behind the front line who are living the pain of the process, they actually tend to be more pragmatic. They just want to simplify what they're doing. They don't want to have 10 screens open and take, take away an hour of time that they would normally spend actually engage building a relationship with a client. They don't want to spend that doing manual work. So they're really incentivized. They're really motivated to solve the problem. And they get the idea that like, well, no, I'm, I'm fine to do this one or two little edge case. I just want to solve the majority of things that I know could be better. So daylight, you know, what we're really focused on is, you know, how do we satisfy the needs of an IT group, but also empower that citizen developer as a kind of, you know, modern term for it. How do we empower them to be able to solve their own problems and they actually know it better. You know, the, the other story that that kind of is at the core of who Daylight is, is that when you make it so that those people can contribute to the product and the project, you actually get the real result that you need. Going back to that infinite use case, the other thing that happens all the time when, when you come out of IT is if IT builds it, they think they understand how it works. And then you talk to someone on the front line, you're like, yeah, that's what they tell us, but here's what I really do. You know, the, the I, this is what I actually do because you can't do this or it doesn't make sense for my clients. General so if you can private. That's yeah, the problem, right? The the, the the generals think they know what's going on in the battlefield. The guys <laughs> the trenches are like, yeah, buddy, that's not how it works. That's not how it works. That sounds great on a you know on a little board moving pieces around exactly. And so we really focus on how do we make their on ramp to map their business process, see it, you know, iterate on it, give feedback to it. How do we make sure that they're included? while also satisfying all the, the data needs and the, the security and compliance and regulatory needs that technology and, and especially in the fintech space have to account for. Otherwise, we're just not going to be a viable solution to any mid to large size organization. Absolutely not. So, okay. So talk to me about what kind of mindset change that is, because a lot of this stuff does get built in the ivory tower, for lack of a better term. And a lot of the people, I mean, and I guess part of the other the challenges too, is the people on the, in the, on the front lines don't know how to speak the language of the people who are building this stuff. I often make the joke about um, that one character in, in office space where he's like, my job is to tell the engineers what to build. And they're like, can't <laughs> yeah. the clients do that? And they're like, no. And like, everybody thinks it's a joke, but the reality is, is, is trans, you know, translating effectively between the real world deliverable that is, is subject matter dependent into tech parlance as to this is what needs to be delivered. And here are the vital points and why. That is a skill set that not many people contain. So I, so talk to me about like, there's got to be conflict there or, or lack of understanding when you try to change this cultural aspect of the ivory tower versus the, versus the trenches. You know, what have you, what have you done or what have you seen to enable that entire kind of bridging of that? There, there's a few different things. So number one, the mindset is changing across organizations that, that we're dealing with, but it's not necessarily changing because of some, you know, altruistic ideal. It's there's a, what was happening historically was there was a few projects that had the budget that had the desire, the executive, you know, kind of line of sight to them that were getting done and they would figure out that translation piece. All the other projects, just because it wasn't happening at that meeting of minds between the IT folks and, and the lines of business folks, didn't mean it wasn't happening. What was happening was all these areas were going out and buying new technology, doing it themselves and doing it in some way, working 
working around the system to still solve their own problems. We're all we're all looking to make our lives easier. So people were still finding ways to do it. And ultimately, the burden was then coming back onto that IT group to maintain it because someone did go find a new solution. They implemented it and then they left. And now everyone still goes to IT. They still, it's not working. I'm going to pick up the phone. I'm going to call my IT person. I'm going to call my technology people and be like, how do I use this? And they didn't even know what it existed. Use it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Credit card is this being paid for on? Exactly. Yeah. So, so that was a challenge. And as a result, organizations are making that shift and saying, we need something we can govern. Uh, and we need something that we can, that we understand how it works, that we can give to our lines of business and let them solve whether they have some technical resources, whether it's the frontline people doing it. So we're, we are seeing that shift. In terms of daylight, what we've done is we focused on, on the guardrails that are needed to bring the most value without letting even those frontline people overstep their bounds. So there's a, sure, you've, you've probably had people on your podcast. There, there's a whole class of low-code application design application suites out there. And there's some areas where they serve great purpose. But where IT hates them is when people are actually starting to create their own data model and storing data in silos within their organizations. So Daylight really thought about the problem and said, what is the problem that we're trying to solve? And we go back to that tax example where it's, how do I build the right on-ramp for any business process, even when I can't control what it needs to look like downstream? And by doing that, we've put the guardrails in that said, we're not going to store your data, which is a you know our default stance. We can store data, but by default, it's returned back to an organization in whatever form they need it, whether that's a collection of paper documents, an API call, a file upload. And the guardrails for the, the subject matter expert are you're designing, just like you would in a Visio diagram or a process map, you're designing the rules of your process. If this is a corporation, here's what I need to follow up with. If their beneficiary is under 17, I need to add a trustee. They're mapping out the rules of the data that they need to collect in the experience. And then they're mapping it to whatever is available. Is it a paper form? Is there an API call that IT has enabled that I just say, here's how I collected it. And now I'm going to pass it to that API. So we're, we, gave them the ability to participate without overstepping their bounds. And then we we gave IT and those other groups the ability to govern the release cycle, the data flow in and out of the application, where the data is going to be stored. So we've kind of found this happy medium where IT, who is skeptical about some end-user-focused solution, actually sees, hey, all that I'm doing is I'm offloading my need to sit in those requirement meetings and, and the constant need to iterate when it is out in the market but I'm still controlling the pieces that are essential to my vision, which is the data stewardship, this ideal end state where I can actually see and run analytics and do all the other things you know, through APIs. So for us, it was that separation of the experience from the data and really focusing on the different audiences that will participate in making the ideal experience for any process. And I mean, it's it's a I'd say it's a it's a growing trend. I'd say to start to try to empower people further downstream, right? I think at the end of the day, <laughs> they know their problem better than the IT people do, and there's more of them. Uh, I also, I mean, what you built also, correct me if I'm wrong, is is a pretty low to no code platform right now, correct? Yeah, in the at at the level where you're designing your process, so that that's kind of the way of lowering the bar of who's able to participate. Exactly. So, I mean, this is, and for those unfamiliar with it, please, please take a look, uh, a look at the concept of no code or low code. Frankly, um, some of the tools out there are just 
boggle the mind at how good they are <laughs> at this point and how good they're becoming. And frankly, unless they become good or easier to use faster, we're never going to solve the shortage of developers that we have out there. Yeah, but exactly. The, you know, the, the thing they get to the point where someone can take a tech savvy non-coder can basically take a couple of video classes and start solutioning their own problem without creating a separate data silo or duplicating duplicating data within the system. Yeah. Uh, being able to go in and say, okay, you know, they need a name field name, they need a SIN number field, and some sort of intelligence to check that, oh no, that data already exists. Let's pull it in here. And now we can action in this way. And anything that's new gets added to that same data model. Like the ability for for that kind of bi-directional kind of empowerment is just is revolutionary in terms of how much faster things can move because now your entire dev team is not your dev team it's your dev team and a cohort of your end users who want to solve their own problem yeah no that that, that's it and and as i said like i'm a realist person along the way and i think daylight kind of mirrors ryan and my's approach to like how do we really solve how do we bring value today without burdening you with problems in the future and i i would say I hear this more at the large enterprise side, but there, without guardrails, there is the fear. There's a fear that just like they used to buy technology, that I don't even know what you're using and whose credit card is on it. There's a fear that if we, if it's not implemented right, or if you're using a different low-code solution for every problem you have, or people are still building out new data models in it, that they're going to have face a nightmare three years down the road when there is they wake up and realize there's a thousand applications running on a thousand different uh, computers. So we recognize that. And that's where, again, we are, I'm not saying that that it's there's one perfect solution, but Daylight really is focused on providing low code in terms of the process build, the experience build, that area that the, ex, the SME is the expert in, but still empowering the IT folks to focus on what they want to do. They want repeatability. They want, and they want to build that single pipe that feeds data in and single pipe to move that data back into their core systems. And so you can't ignore that. You have to, you know, especially the large enterprise, you do have to focus on the requirements they still have and where the dev team still wants control. Otherwise, you, you can, you know, you can still get down a path that's not going to be ideal. And I think Daylight has really found a way to bridge those two when needed. Not everyone needs that. Some people just need to build something and, and there's not a big IT team telling them, hey, don't do it. And that's great too. That's a, But I come from the enterprise space and I, I tend to think of them to make sure that we've got the right controls in place. And then it still is going to service, you know, down market as well for everyone that just wants to rapidly build something out. Yeah. And I think it's it's interesting because of the mindset shift there, because it stops becoming about the ones who control and action everything. And that's a relinquishing of control to ones who basically steward the efforts of the entire organization, right? That's um, right. That's a huge cultural shift in terms of mindset, right? Just, but, just and, enormous. Yeah. And, and you know, we, we've been talking about mind like that mindset and, and shift there. That's that one thing. Nobody wants to give up control either, you know, in that constant battle between IT and, and business folks. And so if you can find a way where they they realize, oh wait, I just don't have to do the stuff. You know, I've been a developer. I, there's stuff I don't. I don't want to build another email widget. I don't want to build another. You know, I don't want to do this stuff. I want to focus on something that's meaningful. I don't want to. I don't another, want to go back to some form, color. right? For this extra abstract use case. Yeah, You're like that. That's not PDFs. Like, come on. And and now as an operator, I don't want. The same goes for me. I don't want my development team who's got who are helping drive our platform forward. I don't want them working on some little edge case. You know, I I, I want them focused on things that are of most value. That's what we're we're recruiting all the time for you know high-end developers. I don't want them then on low value activities. So it's the same in any organization. You you want to keep them on the things that matter and you want to then, but you don't want to avoid doing the work that's going to make a change for everyone else. Well that's that's the true that's the true impact is right. You get to stop putting your very expensive full stack devs on we need a cornflower blue button on this uh, on this one form. Exactly. To- 
they're basically having, I mean, this is a, you know, let's be realistic. It's also a cosplay, right? Like the reality is if you can train up someone who knows how to use a computer with a series of instructional videos or like boot camp on, yeah. on this, you're talking about massive savings per hour um, yeah. and so much more getting done without the eliminate. And this is the thing is some people may view this as a threat to their jobs in the de- in the developer world, but frankly, it's like, come on, like, there's not enough work to go around. Like, give me a break. It, that's it. But I, someone on my team recently was telling me, I think I, you know, I'm probably going to paraphrase it poorly, but it's a, I think you told me it was a Warren Buffett activity where it's, you know, it's start of the week, you write down the tw- top 20 things you need to work on. And then you go back through the list and you, you've circled the top three or the top five. That's what you want to do. It's the number six through 20 that are the ones that are the biggest trap. You know, anything 21 and beyond is not important to you. Six through 20 seems important, but you know, so you feel pretty good about doing it, but you're actually not doing the number one thing on your list. And that, that goes for the, you, you want those developers doing the core thing and everything else is important, but there's other people that can contribute to that getting done. Um, you know, Stephen Covey, like, you know, you got a, a, a jar, if it's sand, it's, uh, you have stones, large stones, pebbles and sand. And if you fill the jar with sand first, you'll never fit the other two in. But if you fill the rocks first, you'll be able to squeeze in you'll build the, yeah. stuff, right? So yeah, so absolutely, it's got to be a priority. And and those, let's face it, those long tail priorities for people downstream just never come to fruition, quite honestly, or they get well, rolled into a much larger project down the road. So it's we, not, it's really inefficient when it comes down to it. Yeah. You know, just, just to, to give you a little scope on, on what we see, you know, uh, and again, I, I'm, we cross all kinds of things. We've been in pharmacy processes, uh, you know, here in Canada, if you've done some vaccinations, flu or, or COVID, we've powered omni-channel experiences there. We've done wealth advisors and banks and everyone else. So I, we kind of crossed the, the gamut, but I, I use some of the large ones just for, illustrated purposes. One of our clients, you know, it, I, th- I believe when we first started talking to them, they had 10,000 processes internally that were either paper or Excel or legacy based. And what they were finding was that, you know, in a given year, only the top five might get attention because the way that they typically had worked, you had to have enough budget. You had to show that, Hey, it's going to cost us $5 million to make this improvement. So it better return 10 or 15 to the organization. So all the little interactions, you know, the power of attorney, we talked about, you know, changing my RSP from one bank to another, just updating my address or my beneficiaries, all that stuff was there. And there was someone raising their hand saying, this is problematic. They just weren't getting touched. And they would do the top five. The next year they'd have a different top five. And then the third year, the one from year one was back on the list again. So they're just like polishing the same stones over and over and over again. And there was literally tens of thousands of processes happening in branches, happening in call centers that just don't get any attention. But the effect of it, I just was on a call, one process at a bank by digitizing it in that way we talked about in the TurboTax kind of analogy, it was 37,000 hours they saved in terms of administrative work in front of their clients in that year. Now that's a huge scale because it's a national bank, but you can imagine the cumulative effect of how much time you have your staff, your experts at building relationships, at advising people on the right things to do for their accounts, how they can grow their money, how they can plan for retirement. Wire here, man. Like I, you I know, know it, it kills me. <laughs> oftentimes people in back offices who don't get this stuff don't understand why I get so incredibly frustrated. And it's like, it's simple. I'm cursed with knowledge. I'm cursed with the knowledge that it doesn't have to be this way. And I am yeah. struggling to get you to understand to, to the level that I understand what's capable, what's capable of and how transformational this is. And 
Yeah, it's um, unfortunately, yeah. it's, you know, most people focus on doing the one thing that they're told to do in front of them. They don't yeah. necessarily understand that that this is what's possible or what's feasible and just the enormous benefits to it. So, but seeing the light go on, I, I'll, I'll leave it on that, which is like, that's the most satisfying part about running this organization, being, being part of this for the last five years is watching that person get empowered and watching them every other week, watching a team roll out, hey, we've improved this. And to the delight of the other employees, to the delight of the customers, it's the, everyone has known, you know, we all live in a modern world. We know what's possible. And so the frustration is when you're like, well, how come I can do that when I'm trying to order groceries, but I can't do it at my own job. And so seeing that light go on when teams are empowered is one of the most satisfying things. It's really an amazing thing to happen. I'm excited to see more of it. But, yeah. uh, but it is, it's, it's a great way to, to yeah. you know, spend my, your my pushback on every time someone tells me like, well, when I'm, when I'm like, well, why can't I know the status of where this is? Well, we can't support blah, blah, blah. I'm like, really? I know where my pizza is yeah. at all times. <laughs> yeah. Like you, like a pizza chain is doing this and you're telling me that yeah. with all the money floating around here, I can't know where things are going. Give me a break. Yeah. I'm with you a hundred percent. Anyway, so before we wrap up, there's three questions sure. that I asked always on a positive note. First okay. one is, if you had one wish for something you could change in your company or the industry as a whole, what would it be? Well, that's a tough one. I think I would change everyone's, I would want everyone to walk into every problem with a lot of the same perspective that you and I talked about today. There's, I tend to approach every, every problem like this. I don't know the answer. Let me learn what, what is possible and let's, let's build something immediately to make an impact. It doesn't, we don't have to plan for eight months down the road. Let's just, let's build something and see how it does. And I wish that I could change that perspective in every client that I speak to and every problem we face internally. Usually it's when people aren't doing that, that something drags on until someone comes in and and refocuses on that. And they're like, well, here's the actual problem. And yeah, we can solve that in a day. I would change that just as a general perspective. And it would make, would make every problem solving session so much more fun. Second question is, what's been the biggest challenging in the company where it is today? It's two-part answer. One is just growing people and keeping them aligned to the same vision, to the same that same iterative approach, that same show, don't tell, try it out, see how it works. The more people you add, the more difficult it becomes to keep keeping that alignment. And then the second part of that answer is we've more than tripled in space throughout COVID, which means that the majority, or it's triple in size, not space. The majority of those people- that say, we yeah, are, people going to the office, come in, give me a break. We, 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 did, we are opening an office, actually, one Young Street. Uh, we're, we're, just, uh, we're just about to open up in a, hybrid, in, in a hybrid <laughs> model. So we've been doing that, trying to keep that alignment, that entrepreneurial, that, that spirit, that agile spirit, when the majority of us have never even had face-to-face time. So that, that has been an extra challenge. And, and just, I know there's been inflection points at, 10 people at 30 people at 60 people now at like 120 people of how do you keep that same spirit as you keep growing in size? Well, that's, you know, people are often, often say is the number one challenge when it comes to any of this. So yeah, um, no surprise. And last piece is what excites you about what it is you're working on? Keep seeing getting you out of bed every morning to keep on fighting the good fight. I think it, it really is. We go back to that, the origin story. There are so many things that I love improving any experience. But the ones I love improving the most are ones that are stressful to people, like taking a test. Anything that has to do with your finances, your health, your loved ones, those are so, people are just scared. They're scared of making a mistake. They're scared of interacting that it's going to be, you know, it's going to cost me money or it's going to affect some negative effect on my health. So watching the knowledge uh, and those experiences come to life in a repeatable way that reduces that stress from the people that are interacting with it 
that gets me excited every single time. And, uh, and, and I just love it. I, I would love for the world to be as easy as tracking my pizza, tracking your pizza, maybe not yours. I have maybe some privacy in there. I shouldn't know where your pizza's at, but why would you care? It's like, no. <laughs> you get hungry and want to order yourself. Yeah. True enough. True enough. But yeah, I think, I think that, that, uh, you know, if, if the world can be a place where it's just so easy to interact with any process, wherever I am, that, that, that keeps me getting up every day excited to, to be a part of that change what it, to whatever degree that is. All right. Thank you so much for taking the time. Greatly appreciate this. Um, very curious to see where this ends up going and uh, the exact kind of transformation, frankly, that just about every major company needs to look at. It, you know, empowering their, the people in the trenches as opposed to the just the generals in the ivory tower controlling it all. And frankly, it's um, you know one of those things where I think the first time we talked, I was like, yeah, we're going to get along fine because you understand it doesn't have to be the way it is. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, but it hurts us both at the same time. <laughs> it, it, it does. It, does. it hurts awesome. us deeply. It wounds us. Art, I appreciate you, so you having me. Thank you. My pleasure. So that was today's episode of FinTech Impact. Hope you enjoyed that and hope uh, you take the time to look in not to not only what Daylight's doing, but also just no code in general and just how even, I kid you not, if, you can, if you're semi-proficient with a computer, it doesn't take you long to learn some of these tools. It is quite incredible what you can get done these days. As always, if you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, or wherever is it your podcast. Until next time, take care. This podcast was brought to you by Woodgate Financial, an award-winning financial planning firm catering to high net worth individuals and their families. To learn more, go to woodgate.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, or find more episodes at jasonperera.ca.